facts. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job, who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations, and when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting, it also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom, and his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. And Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, My peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Ereme. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven and on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work, because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. Right. So if we can hey, now, thanks for watching this word study video. If we can now have our panel come on up. Oh, I think I know why that chair was in that room in there. No, sorry about that. That's okay. I just didn't want you to feel like you were shorter than everybody else. Sorry. I'd probably rather be in that chair sit up here. Okay. So Liz, we'll start with you. If you just want to introduce yourself and how long you've been part of the, uh, whether that's the Nashville community, the Otter Creek community, and uh, anything else you think is relevant for us to know about yourself. Awesome. I'm Liz, and I graduated in 2021 from Harding University and moved up here in August. And since, I think, September, I've been going to Otter Creek West End. So I go to the West End campus, and I work for Exile International. 
And Exile International works a lot with Otter Creek, but if you don't know, we um, work to empower rescued child soldiers in Uganda and the Congo and give them rehabilitative care, trauma therapy, and we work to like bring up leaders of peace and break the cycle of war. I'm Becky Frazier. I'm the Missional Discipleship Minister here at Otter Creek, which essentially means um, helping people here at Otter Creek find um, how their passions align with the mission of God and plugging people into opportunities to serve here locally in Nashville. Uh, and I've been doing that in some form or another for a little over four years now. So. I'm Matt Milligan. I'm the Director of the Institute for Conflict Management at Lipscomb University. I've been there for about five years now. I also graduated from Harding, uh, moved here in 06. Um, yeah, glad to be here. Thank you. All right, so uh, welcome. So, Matt, we'll start with you. Uh, what's the best fruit story you have? The best fruit story I have? Um, well, I, uh, growing up in Searcy, um, Arkansas, um, is not an exciting place to grow up. Um, there's lots of fun to be had, but in and of itself, it's not very exciting. My family actually had a farm even further out in the sticks. Um, and so I grew up picking uh, watermelons and cantaloupe and tomatoes. Yes, tomatoes are fruit. Yes. Um, and one of the things I learned about fruit, um, and the first Devo I ever did was about tomatoes. Um, and one of the things I learned about fruit um, when you're out picking in the hot sun is a fruit can look really, really good when you go to pick it off the tomato plant. I mean, really, really good. But you get up under and it's rotten from the inside out. And, um, and that image has stuck with me. Uh, through the years, so something can look like one thing, but once you actually examine it, it can be something that's the complete opposite of what you think it is. Thank you. Um, what? Tell me again the question. The, the most like, interesting. The best fruit the you've best, ever tasted, the, or the a best, best fruit story, or. Um, so I grew up in Lawrenceburg, Tennessee, way out in the middle of nowhere, and every 4th of July my parents would wake us up at 6 a.m. and give us five gallon buckets and we would go blackberry picking and yeah. it was miserable. <laughs> uh, it was hot, those thorns will get you, uh, and you felt like you were out there all day long and got like this many blackberries, but then that night uh, as we were watching fireworks uh, we would be eating a uh, hot and delicious blackberry cobbler and it made it all worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I grew up in the distant land of Uganda, Africa, actually, for the first eight years of my life there. And so fruit coming back to the States just isn't the same. And so uh, we had a mango tree in our front yard. And so it was just like unlimited, just fresh mangoes all the time. So I can't get rid of that. Mango. Yes, mangoes. Mm. Uh huh. <clears throat> Not sure American mangoes uh -uh. can do it. So, all right. Well, moving into uh, what we just talked about with, with or what we watched with peace and shalom and irony, uh, what what are some scriptures that come to mind when we that have kind of shaped the way you think about peace? Liz, we'll start with you. Yeah, good question. Um, there's. Oh, as I was thinking about this, like several stories came to mind, several scriptures, but then I was like, I want to dig deeper. Like, like how do I understand peace? What is this thing we call peace? And two scriptures stood out to me actually when I was reading and researching. One was um, let's see, Romans twelve eighteen, 
And Paul literally, like the verse is, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And I thought that was like such a good, tangible thing of like, Paul knows peace is hard. Like he's like, this is not easy. And like, sometimes it's not possible. But I thought it was just really beautiful that he was like, if it is possible, and as far as it depends on you, like mm -hmm. you can choose peace and you can like pursue this thing we call peace. And so I thought that was a very um, holistic answer and something that was very like human. Um, and then another one that came to mind was Philippians 4, 7, which says, like, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer position, present your request to God. And then it says, um, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So it, it was that part that was, like, that transcends all understanding. And I was like, again, like, and we work, again, we work with, child soldiers in Uganda and the Congo at exile and it's just something that's like gosh how do we create these leaders of peace through what they've been through and I think that this verse is core to a lot because it's like well we can't like because it transcends human understanding um and it's so like it's so rooted in in God and his Holy Spirit and Jesus and so I like those two thank you uh, I think one of the things that has been recently the most impactful for me, um, you know, in the video we heard about um, the the prophets were telling of this prince of peace, this prince of shalom that would bring shalom to all the earth, uh, and then the New Testament tells us that that's who Jesus is. And um, when I was in graduate school, I was in in one of my classes and reading about church history, and there was this um, argument, sort of, that. Jews and Christians got in around the fourth century where uh, Jewish people were saying, okay, Jesus could not have been the Messiah. Scripture is clear. When the Messiah comes, there will be peace. And look around you. There is no peace. But the early Christian fathers were able to say, yes, you're right. In the world, we can see what you mean. But in our communities, this group used to fight with this group and now they break bread together. And this person used to be at war with this person and now they come together every Sunday and they share life together and they love each other. And so you're right, there is no peace here, but in Christ, in this group of people, there is peace. And I found that so beautiful and also a little terrifying because <laughs> I think um, if people were to describe Christians today, I don't know that they would say that we are people of peace, mm -hmm. that you would be able to see what the kingdom of God is going to look like through the way Christians treat each other mm -hmm. and through the world. And so that's really shifted my understanding of um, what my role is in, in the kingdom of God and how to partner with God in this desire for shalom in the whole world. Well, one of the scriptures um, that I chose was Matthew 5, 9, which is blessed are the peacemakers. Mm -hmm that we call children of God. And through my role with the Institute for Conflict Management, I tell the students on the first day, blessed are the peacemakers, this is what you're called to do, this is why you're here. And, and that's what we try to train. The, the other um, verse that means a lot to me, do we have time for me to unpack mm -hmm. something? We do. Okay, so um, I'm gonna tell you a little story. None of you know this story probably. Um, when I was a young person, when I was between eighth and ninth grade, my parents got a divorce, and it was a pretty ugly one. Um, 
my dad moved to the Philippines, and I didn't see him again until I was in college. And my mother moved 90 miles away to Jonesboro, okay? Now, I grew up in Cloverdale across the street from the Dukes, all right? So you know that house. I was the house across the street from them. But for about four and a half months, I lived there by myself. And um, I, I, the, there was no other adult in the home, and there was no brother or sister. And it was the people in the neighborhood, all of whom were Church of Christ, all of whom were Harding people. I was a Baptist kid. This acapella stuff that people argue about, like that was foreign to me. Um, they took care of me. I had something to eat. I had kids to play with. Um, someone eventually provided me a scholarship to go to Harding Academy. Um, and it changed my life, and then I did well there and got to go to Harding University on a full ride academically and um, changed my life forever. My son's name is Harding um, for that very reason. He doesn't even know that story, so that, that story stays within these closed doors today. Um, one of the wonderful experiences I got while Harding that helped shape me was um, I got to go to Uganda for a summer. Your dad picked me up at the airport, by the way. <laughs> and uh, like all these stories about her dad are flooding back <laughs> today. Um, and towards the end of the summer, um, we got to go to the Serengeti Desert, um, more of a grassland, really. And we got to camp out in the Serengeti at night. So we were no longer at the top of the food chain, right? And we could hear the most um, amazing and terrifying noises all night. And <clears throat> middle of the night, I, I wake up and uh, I'm saying, ow, 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 you know. And I look down and we had built our tent um, next to an army ant mound. And there were ants in the tent. So immediately I'm, I have a decision to make. Um, do I get out of the tent in the middle of the night when I've heard lions? Um, or do I stay in the tent and get bitten all night by the army ants? And eventually we, we moved the tent. But uh, as you can imagine, I didn't have um, a lot of sleep that night. And so I opened up that night. I opened up the psalm. And I started reading. And I'll never, I came across this verse. I will lie in peace. I will lie down and sleep, for you alone made me dwell in safety. Mm -hmm. And I remember that night thinking about, okay, I'm going to be okay. And I was thinking about the times when I was younger man, in eighth grade, by myself in that house, like a scared little kid, right? I would keep lights on like I was afraid of the dark, still am. Um, and he was, I was lying down in peace and safety then, right, because of the Lord's presence. So um, those verses mean a lot to me. So, Becky, I want to kind of go, we'll go back a little bit to what you said, because one of the things that struck me was um, when you talked about internal um, within Christians, do you, do you find that in your, in your ministry, and in, uh, we are so focused sometimes on peace externally with other people outside the Christian world that we forget to live in peace internally with our brothers and sisters? Um, I, I think that's part of it. Um, and, and um, I don't, it seems like, and I, I can't say with any certainty, right. but it seems like because of things like social media and um, the 24-hour news cycle that we, we are just in a state of um, where it's really difficult to be at peace, where the, the things that make news are things that are um, upsetting, and it kind of turns us all into... Um, people that are not at peace within ourselves with other people and I think that Christians have picked up on that culture of um, fear and fear of the other and fear of the outsider um, which human beings sort of tend towards anyway 
um, this tribalism that that um, others might might hurt us, and, and we um, focus on that rather than on what Christ calls us to and um, what God has always been trying to do through God's people, which is um, to use those people to bless the whole entire world. And you're right, we cannot do that if we ourselves are fighting with each other and um, and um, constantly at war. Um, internally in our own selves and then in our group, um, how can it ever go outside of that? So, Thank you. And so Liz, with you working with child soldiers, one of the things I found very enlightening in the video was it's not just the absence of war, but it's the working together, it's mm -hmm. the, the, the complete peace. So in your experiences thus far, what, what have you seen that kind of show when that true peace comes in, not just the absence of war, but the true peace comes in? Or the complete piece. Yeah, yeah, good question. I mean, a lot of it, like, there is war in Congo, like, currently, because people are trying to not have an identity, right? They're trying to take these kids when they're young and break, not not give them the name of human, not even give them a name, not tell them, like, you are a part of this country called Congo, and, like, this is what it means to be a Congo. Congolese, um, they're just trying to be like brainwashed. This is what you are as a child soldier, and this will be your life. And so, when they when they come into our programs, they are so they don't they don't know who they are. They don't have an identity, and so it's this whole process to give them something that they can call like I am, you know. And then and then in relation, like build that on. Like you're not. Yes, you are this, but you are this in relation to Congo, in relation to the world, in relation to other humans, Christian people, um, whatever it might be. Um, so I think that's a big part of it is like healing them through giving them this sense of identity in the human race and not stripping that from them. Thank you. Matt, I was seeing lights go on there. Was it that obvious? No. This is really interesting. Um, one of the things we teach students um, early on in our program is, you know, what what did I what did I draw here? Can you see that? I'm sorry, in the back row, it's what did I draw? Two circles. No, these are these are two people, um, clearly. <laughs> and uh, and each of us, you know, and, and maybe one of these is me, and, and and one of these is you, right? And each of us have these squiggles. Um, we wake up with them every day. Um, for me, it's I'm raising a 13-year-old. Prayers. Um, I, you know, I worry about taxes and money and saving and how am I going to pay for this? And am I doing right by Rachel? Am I doing, you know? And there's always so many things to feel guilty about and worried about and anxious about. It's class on peace, right? Okay. And and you know what? You are too. All of us um, have our squiggles. We wake up every day, you know, and, and once you know, we realize, yes, I'm alive and I'm awake and I have to go do something at some point today, we, all those things start to creep in. And it's also surprising then that all of us, when we're kind of heightened and we learn to deal with each other, we, we have these squiggles between us. And, and so learning about who we are in relationship to one another and learning that who we are affects how we treat people, and being curious about their squiggles as we seek to resolve ours really, really 
helps us achieve peace, right? It helps us understand our incompleteness and their incompleteness and give grace in, um, to the other person. So, yeah, that's just something we talk about. So. I could listen to you all day, Matt. I wouldn't, but I could. <laughs> uh, so, one of the things that we, that you, you even kind of alluded to a little bit, you know, that are we fruit is come from seed. You know, that's what makes it a fruit is where the seed is, and the seeds multiply. You know, and, and fruit multiplies, and that we're known by our fruit. So, how how can we see peace multiplying, and what does that look like? Whether moments of that where you've seen that in your own life, or or where you dream where that would be, of where peace is multi multiplying out in a community. Now, popcorn. Whoever wants to address that one. Uh, a practice that has really been helpful for me, you know, as as Matt said, um, it's peace starts within us. Um, there's an organization called um, Preemptive Love, and essentially um, their their mission is to unmake war. And they think that that starts with individuals and with, in relationships with other people. War doesn't start until you start othering other people. And so they think that you can unmake war in how individuals react to themselves. And I think that that is true and a spiritual discipline that has been helpful for me uh, is something called examen. And so that is uh, a daily practice. Um, so by daily I mean three or four times a week. Uh, <laughs> and at night um, or first thing in the morning thinking back on the day before or at night that earlier that day thinking, um, okay, where was I a person of peace today or where did I feel peace today? There's a number of questions you can ask yourself in this exam, but that's been one that has been helpful to me is where did I encounter peace? Where was I a person of peace? Or where did I encounter fear? Where did I encounter bondage? Where did I encounter anxiety? Um, and then you can kind of collectively, it's difficult in a moment um, to, to plant those seeds, but it's easier to look back in retrospect and say, okay, these kinds of situations, when I don't get enough sleep, when I'm around this person, when I'm stressed, that is when these behaviors start, I start to be less at peace. Uh, and then you can start then, once you recognize the pattern, then choosing in some moments to, to change that pattern. And so it's those little, little bitty seeds here and there uh, that really add up. Yeah, um, <clears throat> a tangible story of this that we, that is part of our um, programs in Congo and Uganda is we give the kids, we call it seed paper, and so it's it's full of flower seeds, and but they, they just write anything they want on this paper, wounds, traumas, shame, guilt, um, and then they plant it and they nourish these seeds, right? They literally every day water it, give it whatever it needs, feed it, um, and then they watch it bloom the most beautiful flowers. And so it is just a really cool kind of tangible thing of like the inner work that they're doing besides that, but then they can go back and see like, like I remember what I wrote and yet, like, look at this, like, look at this beauty. And it's such a commitment to the, to the community. Um, then they, like, walk past our, our rehabilitative centers and they see these beautiful flowers. And they're, like, reminded, like, these kids are doing the work to, like, break this cycle. And they're, like, committed to come, like, 
holistic and rehabilitative care for themselves and bringing about a more complete Congo and Uganda. And so I think that's doesn't really answer the question, but it's just like a, a story that yeah. I feel like is yeah. so tangible. That's beautiful. I, I, I now want to give my kids seeds. <laughs> that's really cool. I mean, it's a neat practice. And um, so when you talk about multiplying peace, um, I spent 15 years as an attorney. Um, and I still take a few cases here and there, but I now have the power to say no, which is nice since I have a day job. Um, and, you know, people come to, would come into my office on their worst day and they would tell me things that, and I did mostly criminal and family work, right? So um, the stories I would get would make a lot of, a lot of your head spin, right? Because um, there was such brokenness. Um, and so many times my role, and one of the reasons I, I like my role now so much better, my role at the time was to, you know, kind of fight through the system for them and, and get them to a resolution, but that resolution was not one that brought them peace, it was just to get them through a system, right? Um, being curious and willing to step into broken situations and let me throw a caveat on that. When you're asked to do so, <laughs> um, there are some situations that are broken and you are not the appropriate person for that. Um, you will only make it worse. Um, and if, more, if you have questions on that, please ask me. Um, but being willing to step in, not with a solution, but to listen. To listen and offer aid when, it's, when they want it. Right. Um, for me, it's how I multiply peace, um, and that's my simple answer. Thanks. And I, I think, forget the kids. I think I want to plant some flowers <laughs> with you know, watch them grow. And by the way, that that examine, um, we we actually that's something that we teach at the master's level, um, and and that is a wonderful practice. Yeah. Um, fully examining yourself, even before you go into an interaction with another human being, is, is so important and we don't do it unless we're really thinking about it. So. Yeah, sure. so what's something that you think the world misunderstands about peace? Um, I think um, Martin Luther King Jr. has a, a quote about peace that um, peace is not the absence of conflict. Um, that is a negative peace. Um, but it's the presence of justice. And it's the presence of, uh, and, I, and I think that um, very often in scripture, shalom and justice go hand in hand. Um, and um, in a scenario where um, it, it might be easy to say to yourself, well, I just won't mention this because I want to keep the peace in this scenario. Um, but if that is leading to hurt and resentment in you, or if it's uh, keeping a relationship from uh, being reconciled, um, then that is not peace. That's just the absence of conflict. But peace, like the video talked about, is, is wholeness and completeness and um, this, this holistic sense of fullness and 
of reconciliation to ourselves, to God, and to the world. Mm -hmm. um, something that my parents always say, they say, peacemaking is not peacekeeping. Mm -hmm. They say there's a difference. Um, we want to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. Because, gosh, like we know Jesus was not like a peacekeeper. Um, he did every, almost everything he did was to disrupt society and like the world that they were living in back then. And so it is just so fascinating to think like, what am I doing right now? Is it peace? Like, am I doing it to keep the peace? Or am I... Am I going to step out in faith and love and speak truth in order to create um, and actively pursue the same called peace? I love that. That's great. That's, that's, that's beautiful wisdom. Um, you know, on commercials we see peace as something having to do with a beach and a hammock. <laughs> you know, um, I, I was watching, well, I was watching the CNN coverage of the, of the war in Ukraine. And, and during the commercial break it's a woman on a floaty in the Caribbean somewhere right and what a stark <laughs> contrast between war and peace and what people think peace is um, and God, um, Martin Luther King Jr. borrowed that quote from Gandhi because I've, I've got these like that we use on some of our materials right it's not peace it's not the absence of conflict it's the resolution of conflict by peaceful means right and then Reagan co-opted it, and now everybody thinks Reagan said it. But <laughs> it way back before him, he didn't footnote the original. That's right. um, I, think the, I think the biggest misunderstanding is that peace is peace when it matters to me, and peace has something to do with my numbness to everything else that's around me, right? Or it's the creation of some sort of bubble um, where I don't have to worry about what else mm -hmm. is going on. And I, I think we can all imagine people that we know who they try to build these bubbles um, not to resolve anything but to maintain this facade of everything is okay. Um, so what are some ways that we can actively survive in those moments as we're trying to get to that completeness, whether it's peace with a relationship or peace with while we're waiting for Jesus' to return, like, what are some ways that we struggle in the midst of not feeling that peace? I feel bad because I'm going last. <laughs> I mean, I don't, go I, I'll go first yeah. this time. Um, <laughs> I, I use a tree analogy, um, and I wish I had a whiteboard because I think in whiteboard. Um, that's why I'm, I'm drawing over here. I but think in whiteboard. If you guys. What I do with groups when I'm doing this is I'll say I want you to draw a tree like you did when you were a kid. Everybody draws the, the tree with the hole where the squirrel, the owl lives. <laughs> in this class, you would have drawn some fruit on the tree. You would have had the sun up in the corner and the upside down W's for birds. Everybody does this, right? <laughs> Everybody. And then we talk about the parts of the tree that matter the most, which no one draws. The first are the roots. Um, and then we talk about the branches. Um, and so. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm Mark Hansen. I love simple homespun agrarian analogies. Almost everything in nature that can, when it's upset or it's experiencing anxiety, it climbs a tree. Like if a goldfish had legs, it would climb a tree too. I mean, lions, bears, tigers, like they all do this. The benefit of climbing a tree, you know, when their little hearts are racing, allows them to gain perspective on the situation and calm down. 
one of the practices I try to teach people, and I teach negotiation, is when things are spinning out of control, when you don't know what to do, is to climb a tree, to take a break, to go somewhere and find a way to be by yourself, even if, even if, it, can only, even if it can only be in your mind, and gain some perspective on the situation and ask yourself some simple questions. And we use what you were talking about earlier. The other thing we do, as far as it concerns us, is we think about our roots and what are we connected to and what do we need in a particular moment. Uh, we also talk about examining the other person's roots. And when we think about our roots, we gain perspective on ourselves. Um, so I don't know if that answered your question, but um, those are some things we think about to help us. Um, one of the things that helps me is um, a, is seeing a monthly spiritual director. And so I am the kind of person who can um, know that I need to address something in my life and then just like push it down. Nope, not going to deal with that today. Uh, and I could probably do that pretty indefinitely. Um, and what spiritual direction does is offer a place for all of that to come to the surface and for God to be able to, be able to address it. Um, and I also am a spiritual director. And as I'm directing people, um, I strive to be a peaceful presence. And so there is nothing that anybody can say that um, will make me anxious or afraid for them or worry about them. Um, on they, you know, nothing they can say about God that will surprise me. Um, none of their frustrations. You know, if you've read the Psalms, like God can handle, God can handle whatever, <laughs> however angry we are, whatever words we're using. Um, there is there is nothing in that moment that that would make me tell that other person, oh, I don't know that you should say that, or I don't know that you should feel that way. Um, and so it's helpful for me once a month to go to a spiritual director who offers that space for me. But it's also changed not just in spiritual direction, but how I relate to other people. That training has allowed me to to be um, in in some moments a person who can just uh, be a non anxious presence for people to. Uh, you know, when when they are anxious about something, to be able to say, I think I think God's got that, and I I will be a representative of God's peace in this moment. So that helps me. Yeah, going off both of those, I think humility and peace are closely tied, and I think presence and peace are very much almost the same thing. I think that. Um, Jesus, like the story of the gospel is such one of presence and we think of Jesus as one of the most peaceful, like Prince of Peace, like one of the most peaceful people and as well as any other spiritual leader that was, we consider peaceful as just like one of presence and so I, sometimes it gets overwhelming, like especially now, like oh my goodness, like how are we supposed to be people of peace? What is, what is peace even mean right now um but one that's like it doesn't help us to look at the past look at the future it helps like what can i do now who can i be now who can i um encourage now what can i do now um like this moment here is like the only one that exists and so um how can we continue to be here now and all the anxiety that kind of So I uh, open it up to anyone here have any thoughts about peace that they have kind of had an aha moment about or something that they have thought of in a little bit different way than what has been expressed here? Anyone have any comments? 
Yeah. So for me, I work in a skilled nursing center, and um, so <clears throat> I'm in a situation right now where I, I it's probably too too much information. Uh, some of the um, CNAs have, or there's they can't hire CNAs. It's hard to even get them to work there because they don't pay them enough, all this stuff. So then what happens is they try to keep the CNAs peace, keep peace with them, keep them happy. What that does is cause not peace for the patients mm -hmm. and un, not great situations. They don't have shalom, for sure. Mm -hmm. So I always find that I'm, one of my jobs is uh, to try to make sure the patients get what they need. And, and so I feel like I'm fighting all the time <laughs> to get them peace, the, them shalom. And I'm like, you know, trying to figure out how to get talk the CNAs into realizing that they have to provide the care for the patients that they need. So, I, and when I'm hearing you guys talking about shalom, I'm thinking sometimes you have to fight for shalom, ironically, or you I have to be uncomfortable all the time to try to get shalom for patients. Um, so it's it's a, a, not like you guys, you know, are working in situations where you put yourself in an uncomfortable situation to help someone else have shalom. Or I mean, it's a ironic to me that, you know it's like a work that we're not in heaven so yeah we constantly are having to fight for uh, peace or shalom in people's lives because yeah. of sin in the world I guess mm -hmm. right we live on a wobbly planet right I mean and systems a decision gets made to fix one problem but then, and, and you know this as an educator, and then it begets so many more, <laughs> you know, so many more right. conflicts that you didn't, we got exactly. all these wicked problems, There's, it's, a, it's a thing. <laughs> and what, and I really liked what um, Liz was saying earlier, you know, Jesus came to disrupt systems, right? And, and that didn't look like, oh, it's okay, buddy, like, yeah, you're doing your best. Like, no, he was, he, he was actively disruptive, right? <laughs> and that, and I, I think that's a wonderful model for us, obviously, yeah. So. I think there's a, a bit of a flip side of that. And I, I was talking with a dear friend who we spent a lot of time. We've become much closer during the pandemic, which has been a, a gift. And we are on the same page politically, but we've talked about how that we have other friendships that we've just had to carve out areas that we don't talk about, that we just don't engage in. And I'm sad for that, and I'm really grateful that I can talk about all these things with this friend. But neither of us have found another way to maintain those friendships, except by just being very careful not to engage in certain conversations. And I don't think that's ideal, but I think it's the best we can do right now. I, I, maybe that's a cop-out, but I think the more peaceful, the more um, collaborative conversations you can have about other things, the better you nourish those relationships and hopefully they'll get to the point where you can talk about some of the harder things again. I don't know. No, I think, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, as far as it depends upon you, yeah. Live that peace with it. If, and if you have a someone you love or a friendship with somebody that you know may not be able to stand this conversation, then what is your role? Is your role to be right? 
need your role to have a loving relationship with this person? Well, and I love your use of the word, what is your goal? Because I think if when that is really driving my interaction, I make better choices. If, if I'm not careful to be aware of my goal, and my, my goal is to be an encouragement, my goal is to have this friendship. Mm -hmm. It's gone back a lot of years. My goal, but if I'm not careful, it gets, I want to get into the, I want to be right, I want to show her, I want to teach right. her, I want to improve her. And all of those things are inappropriate. There's a, there's a clip from season one of Ted Lasso. And I'd be careful introducing this. You, mm -hmm. you want to make sure when you YouTube this, clean, like there, because there's there's a there's a word uh, that we don't use. But there, there's a clip. He talks about being curious and not judgmental. And he, it's over a game of darts when, when two people are hustling each other over darts. So it's very Sunday school. Um, <laughs> but I love that. I love that thought, right? And so as far as it depends upon you, right? We try to be curious and loving. But if we can't engage in that with someone without losing our shalom, right, then we'll try to maintain the relationship. And uh, that, that, that's at least the matrix I try to see it through. So Matt, if you brought it down a level to Ted Lasso, I'm going to bring it down to a Heineken commercial <laughs> for beer. So we'll see who Is that one level? <laughs> that might be a several levels, but we have used the thing in my work where um, Heineken made this commercial, I want to say it's five minutes long, maybe it's three minutes long, that they brought people together who had opposite views on, I don't know if you, have you seen it? Seen it. Mm -hmm. So you might need to finish it for no, me, because I, I yeah. will only remember parts of it. I can only remember parts awesome. of it. I, don't want you, I can see it in my head, but I can't see the yeah. entire commercial. So they bring people who had opposite views. You know, they would have a, a person who is homosexual with somebody who has the strongest views against homosexuality. They would bring... And there were like several of them, and I can't remember all the topics, but it was just really cited issues. This was long before the pandemic. And they would put them together and have them start a conversation and state their views about that topic. And then they would have them build something. They built a table or something together. They gave them directions. Pull up, pull up the directions. First we do this. They're working together. Do this. And then at the end of the commercial, the question was, would you want to have a beer with this person? So that's, that's kind of the downside that it was a beer commercial. But it's amazing when you actually continue to communicate as opposed to drawing barriers and saying, I'm going to go talk to my people and get even more rigid about what's wrong with those people. When you actually interact with people, you realize, oh, we actually have more in common. And I can kind of get you better. And I wouldn't mind having a Coke with you. Jesus would have had a beer with him. Jesus would have <laughs> made, a, made a glass of wine. Or, 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 a wine. I'm, I'm pretty sure those. Well, they may not have beer, but you know. I'm pretty sure those commercials don't air in Searcy, Arkansas. Right? <laughs> I never saw it, it air. Just, just, because it just because it's a dry county doesn't mean they don't. Uh, show <laughs> they're still waiting on MTV. Yes. Yeah, mm -hmm. Well, thank y'all so much, and thanks, Virtual Becky, um, for for being on. I, I really do appreciate all the insight that y'all have given, and hopefully, some some things that we can walk away from to create that shalom, to create that peace on a on a daily basis. So, thank you. Thanks for letting us be here. And if you haven't been here for for church yet, it's a great great Sunday with you for that Sunday. So, it was really good. So enjoy. Thank y'all.